<laughs> what are you busy with? I'm really busy um, being a dad, and that's impacting my practice in delightfully profound and incredibly mundane ways. Um, the kind of profundity that everybody goes through, is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's a really interesting thing as an, as an artist, what bringing this small life into the world has done and how it's shaped my perspective on what I'm making and what I'm leaving behind in the world. So not only what am I leaving behind in his life, but what am I leaving behind? What's the legacy of my artistic practice? And also kind of thinking retrospectively about what was left in the world that I came into that I had no choices in creating or in making um, you know the social personal political constructs of the world that I just exist within and how often do we examine or question or try to process those in relation to the world now or the world to tomorrow for my kind of son or you know in 30 or 40 or 50 years for grandchildren or for future generations and do you, does that happen physically i think that it happens re-examination yeah i mean i think it does it happens you know for me at the moment there's this very genetic um transference of information so i'm thinking about what it is that my kind of child's inherited physically through me what is it that the kind of historically even looking back through kind of nomadic tribes and what how how physical practice and being in the world has shifted and evolved through the ages and where we're heading in a physical practice and then where dance fits into that and we lead a far more sedentary um depersonalized existence than we ever have and what is dance and can dance be the other to that and does it create more value for the art form? Does it make it more, um, yeah, does it bring it closer to people's worlds or does it push it further away? Yeah, or does it make it actually harder to fire any mirror neurons in a viewer because they haven't ever fired their own? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, totally that. And I think, you know, the mirror neuron is such a wonderful example because the non-conscious mimicry that is one of the ways that we learn our way through the world from youth through to adolescence and then into adulthood um, if we're not engaging in a physical practice ourselves it's far harder for us to relate to or understand Mm. what it is that other people are experiencing physically in the world and dance is kind of the edge the outer edge of what those physical experiences and kinesthetic um, experiences can offer to humanity and I think it's incredibly important what about when we're talking about edges um, with your residencies, how it's always seems to be at the edge of the earth? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And if we're talking about being in the world, but then also having this somehow exotic other world mm. that we escape to and how that, like, does that give you perspective or does that, is that just like... What does that do to you to be on a boat and surrounded by ice for weeks on end? Or Yeah, the amazing thing about... Um, for me the amazing thing about pursuing these residencies that are often on the edge of the world in the Arctic um, or we've just come back from a month in Greenland we try and find places to experience our artistic practice that is as far removed from familiarity as possible and I love the idea um, someone shared with me a couple of years ago that creativity is just basically boiled right down to disparate ideas coming together and when you can give your subconscious enough space and enough freedom to allow these disparate ideas to connect that's when creativity can really flourish so when I'm not at home and I'm not driving the same way to work and I'm not kind of on autopilot but I'm in this whole new space where everything's um, 
everything feels kind of uninitiated and everything feels unfamiliar. I think that my creative brain and my subconscious brain definitely through that sp space, through that flexibility, through um, you know, not knowing that I need to be anywhere at a particular time or I need to finish doing something at a particular time, it allows other, yeah. other creative opportunities or other creative kind of modes of thinking to arise. Yeah, and your life is longer. Like it feels longer because there's more notable waypoints yeah. through that journey. But then there's this um, uh, competing forces where like you, you can achieve much more when in routine, yeah. when becoming specialised at something, but at the same time it's your job to maintain an openness to being actually the, the shittest in the room <laughs> <laughs> or putting yourself in the room where you no longer have any... Yeah. Yeah. I think to put yourself in the space and kind of push to the edges where you fall over is how you kind yeah. of discover what those edges look like and what they feel like. And I think it's perhaps one of the artist's roles to um, feel most alive in that discomfort or in the not knowing. Yeah. And I think not knowing is something that we increasingly, and this might be a generalisation, but my kind of feeling is mm. that we're less comfortable in not knowing now than ever because we can pull a phone out of our pocket and know the meaning to a word, know the directions to an mm. address, know any piece of information that pops up. We don't need to mull over it and kind of deep dive into the thinking about it mm. because we can instantly tap Google, we can instantly read a response to a yeah. group of people that we're connected with and then we don't actually need to retain that information. So we've got this real sense of immediacy where not knowing is perhaps just not happening. Yeah, I also don't like not knowing but <laughs> I've realised that actually what is very exciting for me is trying to know. Yeah, nice. Yeah, the process. The process where you're like, I, I'm not there and I wonder how I get there. And then that gives a challenge to your mind to try and fill in the blanks. Like you're all sitting right. around, you've got a question and then you hear everybody's answer before you then confirm it with the, <laughs> yes. the outside authority. Yeah, maybe that's the, the challenge to yeah, the listeners. Or even, true. <laughs> I guess even when you're remounting work, you're like, what does the body remember? that this was rather than let's look at the video. Yeah, absolutely. And my kind of sense is that the body remembers more of the innate quality and more of the kind of innate, um, the essence of what it was. And the essence is really the thing that we're trying to capture. Yeah, because, because it's always a platform to share experience with a viewer. It's Absolutely, yeah. And there's a framework and there are accounts and there's this kind of the, there's the yeah. stuff that yeah. makes it happen. But the essence of the thing is what we kind of trap in our DNA yeah. and in our, in our psyches. And yeah, I like that. I like the energetic kind of maintain, maintenance of, yeah. of information. Adam Sinnott, who we both know as mm. dancer, he once told me that actually now that he's had a child, genetically he's redundant <laughs> as, as a living organism. And I wonder how you're dealing with your redundance <laughs> because your genetics have used you and now they've moved on and it seems like the rest of your life can just be... For, like you're still... The thing is when you improvise and when you dance and when you perform, it's still coming from something in the body mm. that is somehow other to the, the eye yeah. that we think about like I will decide to make my body do this but I will decide to listen to my body and allow my body to do this 
I think you've just dropped an existential time bomb. <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, kind of mull over that for a little. But, I mean, there's something kind of beautifully freeing about that idea, mm. that I can be genetically redundant and yes. I can, you know, perhaps exist in that space feeling, knowing full well that, yes, there is something that will continue on that genetic legacy and maybe it frees me up to... I don't know, live a little harder or a little more wildly. <laughs> For the legacy. Yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> um, when you talk about constantly putting yourself in new environments so that you're challenged and when you talk about making work that connects with people and considering cultural heritage and then how, that, how you now take responsibility for cultural heritage, what's your biggest hope? Mm. My biggest hope I th at the moment, my biggest hope is that we begin to examine, like we invite more examination and more inquiry into the world in a way that feels constructive. And I know that we've all got very different perspectives on what the constructive endpoint for that game is, but just that perhaps we, um, and it doesn't even need to be in a challenging sense, but that perhaps we look at the world around us and question whether things that have existed for a long time or that were made, decisions that were made by people that came before us whether they serve us now. And if we empower ourselves with the capacity and the agency to ask those questions, rather than simply exist in the space or exist in this framework that's been constructed for us, I think that that's the best hope of, um, yeah, that, that gives me hope. Gives me hope of kind of moving in a direction that feels helpful for communities. Do you have a, do you know what to do? what you yourself can do in relationship to that hope? I think generosity. Yeah. I think generosity is kind of the bedrock. Generosity, collaboration, um, breaking down silos. I loved when Amber and I just spent this month in Greenland, there were no fences between any of the houses. And it was just such a beautiful way to exist because we'd walk past people all the time. We'd connect with other people. We'd be generous with our time, with our energy. Um, I feel as though the more we can kind of trust in that deep sense of generosity and compassion and empathy um, that we all have, but I think generosity kind of should be maybe the seed, the seed of the way that we move forward and the way that we kind of give to others, the way that we can live in service of others rather than in service of self. And how does that apply to making a dance show? Because yeah. you also have to deliver. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, we can be generous to audiences by allowing them an opportunity to be implicit in the work. And that's always not with their physical presence on the stage, although Lucy and Lucy Guerin and Gideon Obazanik have just created a tractor on the Dance North Company in which we actually invite 20 uninitiated um, audience members to join the performers on stage for the last 20 minutes of the work. So I think there are different ways and mechanisms that we can utilize to create that sense of generosity with audiences. I think in the studio, and I think studios are really already an example of very beautiful, generous spaces. And maybe the more that we um, encourage generous behavior in the studio and in collaborative relationships, then maybe we create these ripples that then make their way out into broader society. I know that in the office space, particularly at Dance North and other arts organizations I've worked within, there is this sense of generous behavior from the studio to the office, from the office to production staff, from external collaborators coming in, be that you know in finance or on the more artistic side of the company. I think that 
artistic organisations, perhaps a little microcosms of how we can create those conditions or those cultures um, that can be emanated and radiated more broadly. Yeah, there's like a, a it's a testing ground. Yeah, actually, totally. Some performances can be testing grounds for protest. Yeah, yeah. Generous, supportive, <laughs> non-judgmental, and non-distancing and non-shaming process. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, mate, what happens after Dance North? Mm, that's a really nice question. When I took over the role, I was very aware, acutely aware, that there would be a Dance North well beyond my time. So the company's been there for 30 years. There have been a number of art extraordinary artistic directors before I've um, taken over the role. So I'm a custodian for this point in time. So one of the first things we did was initiate a 10-year MOU with a gorgeous community in the Torres Strait, Paruma Island. Mm. And we've been working reciprocally um, in a non-hierarchical structure whereby we both support one another's artistic adventures and endeavours. Um, we go to the island a couple of times a year and the people from Peruma come down and spend time in Townsville a couple of times a year. So the idea for me that I can set up or be a part of the setting up of relationships that will endure beyond my point of departure is a really beautiful feeling to me that we can kind of establish relationships between communities that are not anchored in or around individuals. So if I can do that more broadly and create a culture or contribute to a culture uh, nationally or internationally that says Dance North is a company right now and then perhaps as a company in the future operates with this very open collaborative um, collegiate framework that we would like to contribute and share resources with other organizations, with individual practitioners and artists through residency programs and common opportunities and funding, funding opportunities. Mm. The more that we can create systems and structures in Dance North now, which is part of that idea of reflecting upon the past and looking to the future, reflecting on the past, some of those systems and structures that have existed within the company service very well, some don't. So how can we mm. replace the ones that no longer service and establish ones that will perhaps leave the organization in a place that we can continue contributing to the broader conversation and to the industry long after I've kind of left the left the building. <laughs> when Kyle has left the building. Um, before we leave this building, mate, any epiphany that you've had or Anything that you try and remind yourself of? <laughs> uh, I've recently um, been very fortunate after we've been supported through the Australia Council to uh, take a place on the Arts Leaders course. So one of the things that um, Sean Party from Brownsmart Theatre in Darwin, mm. who I'm sure you know, he did drop this absolutely extraordinary, mind-blowing epiphany on me whilst we were on the first residential in Dubbo, where I was born. And what he said to me was... The first time I ever cooked spaghetti bolognese was the first time I ever cooked spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> and my thinking is that if we can find a level of familiarity and comfort in something as mundane, something you've never done before, as mundane as cooking spaghetti bolognese, then perhaps we can dream a little louder and be a little more bold in our capacity for vision and for adventure and for stepping kind of comfortably and excitedly into the unknown then maybe that's going to help us move in a direction that feels as though it's the way we should be moving Carl Page thank you very much <laughs> thank you Matt <laughs>